The cannabis industry can be very scary and exciting at the same time, but you're not alone. Join the community and understand all the different influential people and ancillary providers who can help you scale and grow your audience and your business. I'm your host, Kamin Thrath. Let's dive into the Cannabis Business Development Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Ulysses Youngblood is the president of Major Bloom, an impact-driven cannabis company in the Economic Empowerment Program. And Major Bloom has manufacturing, retail, and delivery license in Worcester, Mass. as a vertically integrated operation. They also have recently opened their retail doors. Ulysses and Major Bloom are highly involved in the Worcester and neighborhood community. Ulysses is also an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship, innovation, and cannabis regulation at Clark University. Before decriminalization, he was expelled from college for weed-related offenses. Still, he has found himself successful in running an impactful business. He's an inspiration to many, and we are thrilled to have him on the show today. Welcome. What's going on, Kyle? How are you? Doing great, man. I'm excited to connect with you, especially someone here in my backyard, because we've had different guests from all over the country. So what you're doing is amazing. Looking forward to unpack your story, you also being a professor, like how do you manage all this stuff? Because I think other owners and other people are inspiring to be in your footsteps. You know, we, we want to kind of share, like, how, how does that journey look like? And when, what can we do to give advice for those future entrepreneurs like yourself? Oh, for sure. And thank you for the introduction, man. And I'll have to tell you a disclaimer. You can give advice, or I should say I can give advice or experience rather than advice. Because, yeah, there's a lot that, like, you know, kind of going through stuff. It's like, all right, well, how do you navigate? And a lot of it's just experiential, whether it be my experience or other people's experience that I've really taken heed to. So let's start a little bit from the beginning. Like, how did you get into the business? You know, some people think we're crazy, right? Being entrepreneurs or being owners, and especially in this really new industry. So what was the aha moment? How did it get you here? Yeah, it was probably the culture first. I think the aha moment for me was family and friends. You know, I knew that my older sisters, I have three older sisters. They all love weed. An older cousin or, you know, close friend who's like a cousin, you know, love weed. And it was more or less a culture for me. And I mean that from the sense of like, you know, as a teenager, just trying to navigate and be a teenager and hang around family and friends and keep each other busy. So not too long after that, I ended up getting into college to play football. And essentially at that college, I ended up being kicked out for marijuana related offenses, like you mentioned. And that happened to be the year before decriminalization happened in Massachusetts. So ever since then, there's like a seed drop that like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble for something that's like trying to become more mainstream and socially available for people. So it wasn't then that I realized that I wanted to be a cannabis entrepreneur. It's habitual experiences that happen that like I kind of smacked me in the face and was like, oh, you should do this. <laughs> so that really took place after I finished business school in 2016. As you had mentioned, get kicked out of you know, actually two schools, still pursued my undergraduate and went on to go to business school. And that's kind of when it clicked and was like, you know, corporate America's cool. But I ran into some of the same issues that I did just being a student in college in my professional career. And essentially, that was the time where it's like, all right, well, I love cannabis, I love business, so let's make it pop. So right out of the get-go, did you even like have a taste of what would be like to be an entrepreneur or own a business? Yeah. Before yeah, getting yeah. into like, hey, I want to start a cannabis business. That's a great question, bro. That's a great question. So... Yeah, man, like that's around the same time when I was introduced as a teenager, my dad and I started a power washing business in Southern Connecticut. 
So I spent a lot of my summers cleaning houses and restaurants, and it was awesome. <laughs> you know, I had a tough childhood. <laughs> so it was a lot of discipline. It was a lot of discipline to like wake up early, you know what I mean? And like actually go work and do stuff. But at the same time, what I enjoyed the most is that like as a teenager, I was bringing money home for the family. So the entrepreneurship bug was bitten, you know, early. And then, of course, you know, I told you, like, family and friends, they love weed. So there was a time where I was around weed, like, more than I should have been as a teenager, yet still running a, a family business and, and, you know, making ends for the family. So that's what I mean by experiences that, like, you know, kind of smack me in the face. Because those things you don't forget, the moral and the ethic groundings, you don't forget that as a teenager. And those are the things that I like to bring forward to Major Bloom now is, you know, just being aware, socially conscious. And I think, you know, for a lot of people in my shoes, Cannabis looks really big and it was big for me, but at the same time, or however, you should really kind of get over those self-limiting beliefs. And that took actually some experience in the corporate world to realize that like, as a salesperson, that happens often, you might put yourself in a slump, but it's all you. If you want to sell, go out there and sell. You know what I mean? So I got a lot of confidence from actually working at corporate America as well. Sales is a whole different breed. You know, I think like there's a brotherhood in that too, brother and sisterhood in sales. So when you see operators that come into this business who may not have sales background, I guess like, is there an advantage for folks to have a sales minded background versus maybe an operational minded or just yeah. like a creative minded background? Yeah, that's a good question, man. I think what happens often is trust fund babies, generational wealth, and that kind of shows in their business a bit because you can have all the money in the world. It's just that like, if you do things differently, and that's what happens with Major Bloom, you start to see people pay attention a little bit more. And if you stay that path, you can see progressive in the growth. You know, we're not the biggest cannabis company in the world, and I have no aspirations of being that. You know what I mean? I think what's most important is being authentic. There's a way to measure that. That's something that you want to bring every day. That's something I try to bring every day. So it doesn't really matter, like, you know, if someone's getting acquired for 100 million, 200 million. It's the authenticity. I'll give you an example. Like we had a delivery the other day and this guy's right down the street from a dispensary that just got acquired. Yet he's calling us in to go deliver to his crib. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's authentic. You got to experience that to be like, yo, this is dope. Like, you know, fuck that corporate cannabis shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you do you. And I think a lot of people, to get into the business, if cannabis or other businesses, and everyone's trying to dream that I feel like it's social media that's giving the wrong you know, impressions, right? It's just mm. like what you read, it's fake news, however right. you want to look at it, right? But like the reality is it's not as easy, you know, it's not for everyone and everyone has a space in it. And it goes back to like how you lead your team and your brand and what you guys do in the community. Mm. Happiness, I feel, comes from what is success for yourself, right? right. For your brand. So like, wh what is that for you? What is it that you guys feel is your niche or kind of like purpose? Right. That's a good question. And truth is what it means. Authenticity going back to that. So like the team here, there's nothing worse than someone that's in the industry that doesn't consume cannabis. It's like, what are you doing this for? You know what I mean? And that's the thing is that it's staying true to the culture, man. It's like, you know, we have a lot of legacy traditional cannabis users on the team here. So I think that's number one, most important, probably because of the area that we're in. We're in a low income neighborhood where you know, basically you have a lot of traditional weed smokers. We sell a lot of weed and pre-rolls. 
you know, we have edibles, we have vapes, but like between flour and pre-rolls, that's like, you know, top tier. So I think it's important to curate a team and a menu that's around what your local neighborhood's looking for, essentially. So I think that's one thing that's important is knowing that there's economic development baked into our business model. And then we're an equity business here in Massachusetts. So we have a delivery license, we have a retail license, a manufacturing license. And what's probably the most important, I guess, creative we get is curating the menu of products that we produce, that we process and package. So I think being able to do that is what sets us apart, especially in a more saturated area like Worcester, Massachusetts. And it is getting saturated. How do you deal with that? And it could get more saturated, right? And if someone came into the business and said, hey, I want to get into this and I want to be in Worcester, like, like, what do you say? How do you coach them through that? Yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, I think the biggest thing is you asked, like, how do we deal with it? Creativity is definitely the first gut answer. And the second is wholesaling. We do a lot of wholesaling to other dispensaries. So I think it's important for us to cater our menu to our own local neighborhood and then also build a brand outside of our neighborhood. You know what I mean? And other retailers. So right now we're finding like 30 or 40 other retailers and that's across different product lines too. So we do a lot of pre-rolls, infused pre-rolls, blunts have been moving really well. And then actually next week we're dropping our first edible line, which is a cereal bar. <laughs> so you know why we did that? Why? I mean, yeah, I, was, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming you must have talked to your clients, your exactly, community about it. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it, man. You don't see cereal bars on a, a regulated menu. It's definitely more of a legacy, traditional at my house kind of thing. So we figured we'd bring that to the regulated market because traditional legacy, you know, it's common, just like brownies. You know what I mean? Believe it or not, we don't see a lot of brownies in this market either, but it's so like everyone did that. You know what I mean? What was, yeah, going back to the question, man. Oh, basically, if you had a friend or someone that you knew, it was like, hey, I got my license. I want to open up in Worcester. And you're like, hey, right. there's a lot of people here. Right, right. What would you so say? It depends. Going back to the previous question, I think, too, is the truth. It's the truth. Like, what's inside you? Like, why do you want to do it? I think it's important to have transferable skills. You know what I mean? I say that because if you don't have experience growing, then it's going to be tough for you to stand up a cultivation business. You have that passion for it. So that's probably my first bit of experience because, you know, I tried my hand in the cultivation spot and it failed. At the same time, you know, I got plants in the corner over here that are dying. <laughs> <laughs> They're not even being watered right now. These are just like household plants. So, like, so yeah. Well, it's a different focus, right? Yeah, you take care of your cannabis plants versus your regular plants. The, po- <laughs> the point is, is it's, it's skill set. It's skill set. And I'm sure these will come back to life with a little TLC. <laughs> But yeah, no, to, to your question, like, where do you start? It's starting with your skill set and what you're passionate about. And I'm not passionate about growing. So, okay. You have certain skill sets, right? Ulysses, as you said, so you know, but then you also, do you know your weaknesses? So how do you fill those gaps? Mm, yeah. The team. <laughs> yeah. My team, my team is, is pretty smart. A lot of them are smarter than me in certain aspects, for sure. That's the quick and dirty. Definitely team, man. You talked about brand earlier, and that's a big thing that we are always educating our clients, but people throw that word out all the time, brand, 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 right? But mm-hmm. like, what does that mean to you? So when you say, hey, we stand out because our brand's doing other things, we're going to other neighborhoods so that our brand is connecting. Can you unpack that? Yeah, I think it's experience, man. And then finding the gaps in the market that basically need to be filled or, you know how many cannabis companies brand their cannabis is premium? It's like, why do you have to keep repeating the same, you know what I mean? And then it dilutes it. 
So what is your messaging? Is your messaging different? You know what I mean? Because if your product is all premium, that's all the same, then what are you saying to people? So I think in cannabis, a lot of it has to do with like the message that you put out and believe it or not, the content, the type of content. And I was just telling our CFO the other day that like everyone makes pre-rolls, dude, everyone makes pre-rolls. How do you stand out from that? It's about storytelling. You know, what's the story behind your brand or your product? And more than that is how you tell a story, especially in cannabis, man, because there's so many lies that's been spewed about it for so long. How can you not rely on producing a word that is truthful? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess to answer your question, brand to me, specifically in cannabis and other branding as well, is how you tell your story, essentially, and making sure that story is truthful and authentic. I'm glad you said that. So that's the true answer as validating from a marketer myself. Like that's mm-hmm. it. That's literally it. It sounds easy, but it's also not well done because right. storytelling could be authentic and storytelling could be marketing, you know? Right. So we haven't heard it yet. So for folks listening, what's your story, man? Like tell us yeah. what makes you guys stand out through the noise. Man, that's crazy to ask because I think it's something that I grapple with often and other operators should too, because in this market where it's not extremely it's not saturated right there's competition you know what i mean i think a lot of people kind of what you had mentioned before think it's build it and they will come i think a lot of it is throwing dollars at places and see if it's going to work so for me operating the business in a way that is gritty can sometimes be hard to explain having the perspective of someone who's been you know basically in trouble for cannabis being someone of african descent black descent you know being black i don't want to create the brand on like oh the first black owner so what you do is tell stories that people can relate to that is specific to a target market and to me that's really heavy cannabis culture you know what i mean and people who are like socially aware it's not premium (laughs) everyone says premium but what can you put out there that people can connect to that's why we make blunts that's why we make cereal bars <laughs> you know so but but the, but i bet you they're having an emotional connection to the brand like hey i'm getting this from major bloom like i know this is made by his team and the hard work and like it's all of that you know no pun intended rolled into it right, right. that at the end of the day why brands succeed is the experience because you said that earlier absolutely but everything that we do purchasing is all based on emotions. So you guys are creating some type of emotion with your products and your brand. Like how would you describe some of those emotions? Yeah, man, no, that's a great question. Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing is, I mean, going back to the experience is authenticity, man. Like what's real, you know what I mean? Or is this stock or there's some actors here, you know? Like I love this company called The Bouquet. And I love the content they put out because you could tell that it's like real people that love to smoke weed. It's not like they didn't hire actors. And we did a product launch with them for Black History Month because it's a Black-owned company. And then we coupled that with the first Black cultivator on the East Coast, Just Incredibles. So like that's the type of experience. You know what I mean? Like we sold out of those things. That's the type that we're curating. I think part of it too is just kind of elaborating more. It's, It's partnerships. When it comes to basically like being adopted and understood by a larger group, partnerships, crossing the chasm, you you need partnerships. You need to work with other people. You can't think that you're gonna do everything by yourself. This is why I stay very particular to distribution and branding. We have an in-house designer. We basically print our own labels. It seems so little, but I'm telling you, man, like you can go to any big MSO and they have Sativa, Indica, 
and hybrid. And the packaging is the same for their flour, for their pre-rolls, you know, their edible lines. It's so cookie cutter that when we print labels that look differently, and we have like 50 of them at this point, everyone's like, what? <laughs> and it seems so little, but we have a label printer. You know what I mean? But yeah. that takes creativity in a team. And it's authentic because he's an artist. Matter of fact, he said this to me the other day. He's like, I know this is a business for you, but this is my art and I want to take my time. That's what he said to me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm an artist too. So I'm going to let you do your thing. Take your time on what you need. That's to me is authentic. He doesn't want to be rushed because it's what we're doing. I mean, you see, you see this stuff, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's real. These are real people, you know, we're curating something real. It's not cookie cutter. I love how you talked about art and that's the difference I think for a lot of brands that are succeeding, why you guys are successful because it's unique to you guys. No one's doing that same type of art, that style. They can tell, and people know like it's handmade, you know, the artwork. And that's why, because you, you're right, on the mass corporate side, you're seeing similar packaging. But you guys found your niche, and that's awesome. Like some people, at least a lot of people, I feel, are trying to copy other people. When you guys literally just say, this is us, I'm doing me. Right. And, right. and, and think right away, because you're so authentic, that's why you, know, you have a following that organically is just growing with you guys and that's great that you're giving your team to empower them to be artists because what it sounds like as a leader you're letting people be passionate about what they're doing and it shows in their work as a result because they're happy and they're growing they're able to service your customers at a better level and giving them that room you know to to grow no absolutely man that's dope. That's dope that you picked that up. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to John, our in-house designer, man. Yeah, shout out to John. Yeah, we'll make a clip right here. We'll send him a little clip. Yeah. So John, shout out. Shout yep. out. Yep. Yeah. I mean, just like you, brother. Like I run an agency, I manage people. Like it doesn't matter the industry you're in. We're all doing the same stuff, right? It's financing, it's branding, it's marketing, it's sales, it's storytelling, it's lifting up people, it's managing people, it's putting out fires. Like oh it's God. all the same <laughs> shit, brother. We're sorry, all doing the same sorry stuff. Sorry I was late today, bro. I was putting out a fire. <laughs> Don't even be sorry. Like, I didn't even complain once. I gave you oh, grace bro. because I, know, I knew. I I'm like, yeah. what was the first thing I said to you when you jumped on? The entrepreneurship. Welcome to entrepreneurship. Yeah. Because, like, I totally can empathize and sympathize. I was like, no problem. You, I knew something Thank came you. up. Like, I always run five minutes late. So a running joke within my team is, like, they'll send me, like, I have to Venmo them five bucks. When I'm late, oh, that's dope. That's it's dope. like a behavior thing. <laughs> that's very important. But we push ourselves right to that last minute. Like, okay, I'm gonna have a meeting. What do I do? And then, but also, if we're talking to someone, we don't just cut it off. Like, we're gonna right. finish that conversation right. if it's a team member or a client or whatever. So you know, as much as we want to be on time, because it's also respecting other people that are waiting for us. Right. Right. There's two sides of the story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. That's so true. So the space itself, like where do you see, you know, the business and cannabis in the next few years? Yeah, yeah. So the business of cannabis, well, my gut is more markets, obviously, more users, you know, more states. You know, last night I was in Connecticut. Connecticut's my home state. And they are chomping to get going, whether it be regulators or businesses. It was really cool to be in that room with some regulators, some private businesses that are starting cannabis branches, some cannabis entrepreneurs, you know, local government. So it's an economic opportunity for sure. I think in the next couple of years, there needs to be an exclusive focus, especially if 
federal legalizations to happen on basically like, what are we doing about the gap? Because it could perpetuate. And it sucks to say that like, you see that now, like I know a guy or a company who sold, you know, to a big guy and this kid came from money. And it's just like, you can just see the generational wealth, like the gap growing essentially. So I don't think it's just the one job of the government. I think it's private entities, you know what I mean? That needs to take a part in it as well as like the public recognizing that. So until we kind of have those three things in line, basically that's where we need to be in order to help shrink that gap. The bill that got shot down, Safe Banking Act, I believe it was, that would not have helped equity. It wouldn't have, <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Right, like, yeah. you know, so it's like, how do you explain that? You know, like, what the fuck? The government's going to do what they want, but, like, if you pass that, it's just going to make rich people get richer, okay? So, <laughs> you know, so at least for the, what I can control is do my part and, like, speak from an equitable standpoint because, like, you know, I was blessed and graced with the network to get this place to open. And, again, going back to family and friends, I had a friend who's a well-off entrepreneur. He's actually here visiting for the first time in Mad Long. And he's like, bro, I believe in you. We played college football together. Like we were on the field together practicing hot summers, all that stuff. So he knew the work, you know, he actually started a business with his family. Same with my dad. So there's like, you know, again, going back to experiences, man, I had the opportunity to experience that. So I had nothing but to share like what my experience is now and saying that there's a visual gap that needs to be addressed. So I hope, you know, personally to be a part of that and share my experience and to help to educate with that. Because if not, then the perspective's not there and the gap's going to be widened. Like, I see it here. You know what I mean? I mean, we talked about some of the opportunities and good sides of cannabis. Like, there's some downsides, like you're alluding to. Yeah. So, like, what other things that people aren't aware about there are some of, like, the challenges and things that you maybe dislike about the industry? Yeah, yeah. I would probably say during the process here in Massachusetts, for equity specific, because we're an equity business, we had no communication with the government about programming. In fact, it was about a year and a half after we got into the program that they were like, uh, well, here's like one formal communication. So then what ends up happening, and it's not even a bad thing, what ends up happening is that you start networking with people to communicate about the process. And that's kind of where we are now. And it's outside of equity businesses. It's also Black-owned businesses, you know, Brown-owned businesses minority-owned, basically any disenfranchised community, veteran-owned, you start to communicate and figure out ways that you can work together, whether it's buying groups, whether it's just having an event every month, you know what I mean? But again, you know, it's not the fault of the government. Maybe people have to stop waiting around and actually, like, start to form and take shape on the change they want to see. I think that's one big thing, though, is that, like, with equity program, not only in Massachusetts, around the nation, there seems to be a gap with getting to a point of knowing that there's a cohort or a group of people and then actually figuring out how to get them involved and participating in the industry. So we figured out the way to do that is to communicate and share experience essentially. So I had a lot of people who have been through it before and helped me, you know, basically get to this point. Sounds like at the end of the day, it's the community that is really the safe space for everyone in, in cannabis to kind of find and help and lift each other. Mm-hmm. So what does the community mean to you? Like what, and what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. What does it look like? Well, this is a good question because I always think about two levels of actually like probably like three levels of it. Actually, yeah, three levels of it. So you have your local community. So obviously there's weed smokers in the local community. We have people that live right next door that come through here. And then you have your cannabis community. So those are people who might live 25 miles away or they'll drive in to come see you or come to your shop. 
And then you have your online community. You have your online community, which can be a mix of all three. It could be someone local that fucks with you online. It could be someone that lives a little bit ways away is coming to see you and fucks with you online. Or it's people that like, I've never stepped foot in here, but like will cheerlead and like encourage, you know what I mean? So to me, that's the definition of it. And it's just making sure that there's participation in ways to communicate and ways to engage between all three of them. It's hard. It is hard, man. It's very hard. What's hard about it? I guess trying to, uh, you're always experimenting, man. Like I did polls sometimes and like, it's cool to do polls, but like a lot of decisions are made on polls actually, or it's mostly online. These are some people that like, I know from back in the day or someone might be in a different market that just likes what we do and they'll comment. It's like, all right, well, they usually, it's funny because they usually align though, because like if we're getting participation from someone that's not in this market and then I ask a question to the team, they seem to align. I'll give you an example, Mylar bags. <laughs> we had a decision not to use Mylar bags anymore and do jars, glass jars. So like asking the online community align with the rest of the team. So that was a no brainer decision. It's like, all right, like the team here and then the online community both said, don't use Mylar bags anymore. So now we use Amber jars. So that's what I mean by like engagement and participation, you know, so. That's huge. Like this is an advice that I always tell anyone is like, just ask and speak to your customers. People are so heavy in like analytics and data. And like, I'm sure people are dropping data to you. You have all these vendors, like look at all the data, what people buying behavior shopping at the end of the day, just like talk to the last 10 people that come in and say, Hey, (laughs) why did you come in? What did you like about my product? What didn't you like about my product? How can I make sure that, you know, you come back? Would you recommend us to some, like literally the simple shit, like people don't do it. They literally don't, I don't know what it is. Are we afraid to talk to people? But I think people get so in like systematic stuff. It's like, just be human. Literally go and talk to customers because they appreciate it. Because look, everyone says it, you know, I mean, I get emails all the time from like Amazon. I buy a lot of stuff on Amazon. Like I try to give back and like give reviews. Right. right. But I do do it now and then. At least I'm doing some action. So right. you might, you know, you might be like, oh, man, calm. I'm doing this stuff. You told me to, to talk to my last 10 clients. Well, you got to keep doing it because they, right. they're busy, too. They might be running out the door after they purchase something. But like, you know, maybe yeah. it's a 10% conversion. So you, right. you ask 100 people and then 10 of them, you know, say yes. But that qualitative, not quantitative, right? That qualitative feedback makes the hugest impact. Right. And that's what differentiates, again, like brands that win, that brands that don't, because they're literally talking to people, getting real feedback, and you're serving the people. <laughs> right here. You know what the next move is? What's that? Yes. Yes. Talk about feedback. What do you think? Oh, you're getting a new mic? So, yeah. What comes to mind when you talk about feedback? <laughs> uh, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> getting reviews in this capacity. Right. Oh yeah. Like I think like if they're in your shop, testimonies, bro. that's the thing I tell every single client. I say, even like I have friends who run businesses, like, look, the quickest thing that you can do, the easiest thing is get testimonies and case studies. You can like do the marketing and sales and pitches and brochure all you want, but the fastest, everyone cares about basically like social proof, right? right? Which could be online or whatever it is like written. So it's the easiest thing to do. Like talk to 10 people that you can just, cause I know you have where you're sitting, you're right in the shop. So just weave people over, have someone, you know, seconds, bro. <laughs> have someone like man that table and like, just pull over people for like, Hey, look, I know you guys leaving. I know you guys, you're shopping here. You must be happy. You have like 30 seconds. 
Right. And just ask them one question. Like, why do you guys buy here? That's, yeah, let's go, bro. And then what happens, you take all those clips. Listen, you take all those clips, right? And you turn them into a reel. Yep. That's it. That's storytelling right there. Like, literally, let other people storytell for you. Dude, come out so we can launch it, bro. Come out so we can launch it. Oh, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to help. Okay, deal. I'll show you how easy Uh, it is. Well, I know how easy it is, bro. It's just that I've been passive. I've been passive about it. Like, and we had this quirky setup here, but this is perfect to do that and execute on it. Now we just need someone to help with it, bro. So come through. Hey, I'll help you. Because then what happens, you know, it's a model and we'll share it to the other folks in the community. All the dispensaries are doing it. Look, here it is. Here's the case study. We did it. We spent 30 minutes one day. And we got 15 testimonials because people don't even have two testimonials on their site. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. And I'll tell you why this is fucking awesome is because there's a part of the cannabis shit that like, it is driven by fucking like an engine. So SEO, you familiar with SEO? Uh, yes, we have with very familiar with SEO. putting $30,000 and we're over here at startup, bro. And our fucking, we don't even have a budget yet. You get what I'm saying, bro? Like I had a call with a dude last week. His marketing budget's a million dollars, bro. <laughs> I'm like, what? He's trying to work with us. So he's like open and like we're chummy and shit. He raised $30 million. So how much does this fucking cost to do it differently? You know what I mean? How 40 much, bucks, bro? 100 bucks, get a good mic. Right, right. Even dude, on your right. phone, you don't even need it. your phone. The quality of our cell dude. phones, this right. thing's HD, the sound quality, you don't even right. need anything else. Just maybe like right. do it outside. You can talk to people outside before they go dude. in. It's, yo, yo all right. that's it, bro. That's it, honestly. But that's the quickest way. Like when you can compete, then that's how you compete with the big brands is right. – just get testimonials, however organically you can get it, quick and easy. Your clients love you. That's why they shop with you. Don't be afraid to ask. I think a lot of people are afraid to ask and feel they're bothering them. It's not that. Mm-hmm. But what would be the worst thing for anyone in the community is like if you guys shut down, right? Because we didn't get enough testimonials to share that story to get more people like mm-hmm. interested, brand awareness to come out and shop with you. This is a strategy of uh, taking it to the next level. Bro. Yes. Like, you know, we're very sustainable, bro. Trust me. No. Trust me, because it's family and friends, bro. It's none of that pressure shit. And I think that's, that's where the creativity comes from, bro. There are people who are in situations in the space where they are, I guess, like stressed and like, you know, feel that pressure. It could be from, I don't know, working alongside, you know, family dollars or I don't know, the corporate setting. But yeah, just the- investors just- put a lot of pressure. You know, yeah. There's a lot of variables in play. Yeah, <laughs> man. So this is very fluid. And like, all right, it's time as a cohesive unit to like take it to the next level. So that's the mindset. It's no, yeah, no pressure over here. Oh, one other story that I want to get out here that people probably don't know is like you're an adjunct professor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So you're giving back to the community. So that's another thing. I, I challenge you when you go talk to your students to get a testimonial from them. Like, oh, how am great. I teaching you? Because yeah. now your story has a whole nother level. It, it gets deeper. Yeah, it gets no, richer. But tell me about what got you interested to do that. That, man, is an interesting question, dude, because the first thing that comes to mind when people ask that is the truth. I got kicked out of my second school and I was back home in Bridgeport at Housatonic and I took a business law class. And this guy was a successful lawyer and took time out of his day. He had his own law firm to come teach at a community college. And he was the coolest dude. So I'm like, you know, if I had the opportunity to do that, I want to do that. And uh, that was around the same time that I realized that like business was cool to study. So from then on out, I took business courses for the next like six years. 
and loved it. And then after that, I finished business school and started my own business. And I got to a point where I felt like I had enough corporate experience and like entrepreneurship experience to be like, all right, I can share my stories to a classroom. So that's kind of the story though. I got the bug bitten by a, an entrepreneur who was an adjunct professor as well. Oh, that's awesome. What does it feel like, you know, after you teach a course or a class or kind of just seeing the feedback from the students? Yeah, yeah, it's cool for two reasons. First is sharing real life experiences. And then the second is sharing adversities throughout those experiences. I was a horrible student, even in college. I have a couple different learning disabilities. And if it wasn't for me understanding how I learned, which is not traditional to the system, like what's traditional system of being taking standardized testing, you know what I mean? Like reading a book and memorizing it. And then by the time I started taking business courses, we studied a lot of business cases, which is a lot different. Granted, the math classes were still extremely hard, but it took me learning that I learned differently to be able to share that with other students who be like, hey, this form of education, this formal education is cool, but like in the real world, it's a little different. You know what I mean? So like there's going to be a life after, you know, your GPA and GMATs and SATs. So like figure out that now, you know what I mean? And then it seems kind of touchy-feely, but I think it's important to talk about regardless of your career path, make sure, and I said this before, it's your truth, you know, your why. And that could be working inside a PNG or a big firm, or it could be flipping burgers because you love the cook, but realize you have to find your why and your truth. Well, so on that note, I mean, we're coming to the top of the hour here. So do you have a go-to mantra or go-to kind of like slogan that you live by? <laughs> Faith. <laughs> Faith. Dude, I love Nipsey Hussle is one of my favorite artists. And he's got a song at the end. He talks about when you look back at it, it's going to feel like it's nothing. So that means that like your problems of today, they shouldn't be your worries of tomorrow. So in many instances, everything feels like it's so heavy in the time that you're in it. And then if you realize that like, it's not gonna really matter, you know, maybe next week or maybe a year from now, 10 years from now, whenever it happens, it's gonna happen where it doesn't really mean anything. So I think that's the important thing to consider is that like your struggles, you take them for experiences. And then when you look back at it, it's gonna be like, wow, I realized why that happened and it's nothing pretty much, or it's important, you know, but you can't harp on it essentially. They're all lessons I feel. In that mm. beginning, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we make mistakes and fail, but they're life lessons, you know, and you learn mm. from it and grow from it. Um, so you're a busy guy. So what are you up to? What's major bloom up to now? Mm. Uh, right now, got some deliveries to make. Actually, as soon as we hang up here, I know we got a slip or two that came through. We're making pre-rolls, of course. And then, uh, yeah, honestly, my boy who invested here, a, a big, big homie of mine, this is the first time he stepped foot in here since... Uh, we had dirt on the ground and it was like no walls up. So I'm gonna go catch up with him after that and then probably make a delivery. And yeah, just we open to 11 every night. So, <laughs> you know, we do wholesale too. Uh, I don't think we have any wholesale deliveries today. We're early next week, we're delivering to Yamba Markets. They're in Cambridge, Massachusetts. They're also in the equity program. So we're excited to go visit their spot, man, just because, yeah, Cambridge is pretty hot right now. You know, there's a lot going on in Cambridge. And then, of course, 420 is coming up soon. We got the cereal bars dropping. So, yeah, just a lot. Nice. More media. More media. <laughs> you know. Constant, just activity. You're doing all good stuff, brother. So I wish you the best. We'll connect and then I'll be out there to help you, me and my team. Dude, you know, we'll get you guys. Go. We'll get you guys rolling. That'll be you my, said you were in the backyard. Where about? So my office is in Worcester. Yeah. Uh, we'll come up. And we'll help you out. We'll have, we'll have some fun. And I know that you like to party and stuff like that too. So 
We'll make oh, it a good time. Okay. <laughs> Ed Hayes, I'm on the block, bro. That's it. Oh, man. No, that's cool. Have you been through yet? No, your place? No, I have not. I have not. Dude, I'm, well, for those that are listening, if they time this stuff, like we're still kind of getting out of the pandemic, right? So I have four kids. I have a baby. This is the last one to get vaccinated. So once she gets vaccinated, then for me, uh, I'll be more free to get out into public. I feel (laughs) you, man. That's how old. So my kids are nine, seven, six, and one. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. That's great. What about yourself? Yeah. You got any of your own or yeah? Yeah, man. So my oldest actually just got his tonsils taken out. He's six. So he's just been chilling the past couple of days. And then a three-year-old, two boys, kind of crazy, bro. But it's cool, though. It's Ooh, cool. High I, energy. Also, I live in Worcester, too. Yeah, a lot of high energy, man. That's crazy. <laughs> but it's cool, though, because, like, they're right down the street from the shop. So it's been very, you know, like a, a blessing to be so close. You know what I mean? And if they need anything or, you know, if it's a weird hour, I need to come back. You know what I mean? <laughs> And believe me, that happens, bro. <laughs> oh, man. With kids, it's a whole nother, like, you, you, there's no schedule. <laughs> right, right. It's just life. Like, I tell a lot of folks that there's no worth-life balance. It's just life. Right, right. And once right. you kind of view it like that, then, you know, hopefully you don't stress out about yeah. not being available at work. It's a mindset for sure. Yeah. Well, then I'll tell you what it is, too, man. And, you know, now I know you're familiar with Massachusetts. You know, kids can't come in here, bro. And it's like being someone who's an entrepreneur, if I had a, I don't know, bicycle shop or mechanics, your kids can come around and like, you know, understand at least grow into it. And that sucks that the laws don't really think about like a local entrepreneur in that perspective. They're like, oh, got to be 21. You know what I mean? But they can go in liquor stores, bro, which my neighbor next door, you know, if they got their hands on some of the stuff in there, they'd be, mm. you know what I mean? They can go to CVS, bro. So it's like, you know, yeah. So we got to kind of have to, you know, again, they're, they're lessons, you know what I mean? Maybe I'll learn how to lobby from this experience. <laughs> I'll all catch up eventually, you know, it's like, it's we're, unfortunately we're taking it in phases, right? For this thing to kind of normalize. <laughs> right, right, right. It's just crazy thinking about like, I have a little wine rack and the wine, it's got the little cork on it. A two-year-old can pull that off. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You get what I'm saying, though? Like, yeah, you know yeah, it really is. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We're not lawmakers. Yeah, <laughs> but like... Right, like, we got experience, though. That's the thing. It's like rationale and common sense. <laughs> yeah. Some of the smartest people real. don't have common sense, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I have You're a lot like... of proof. I have a lot of friends that are geniuses have high iqs but they yeah. don't have the best common sense <laughs> you know so yeah right. man well all right bro we'll i really you. appreciate your time today and yeah. i look forward to connecting you soon my man for sure um, we're gonna launch that too i'm serious about that so you know come through pull up Let's well after launch. this i'll get your stuff it's gonna happen this year we're gonna get to you all sooner right. than later all right let's so. go let's go man all right it was good catching up with you man we'll talk to you very soon all right cheers all thanks right, a lot man. Thanks for spending your time with us. This podcast is for you. And if you have any topics you'd like to learn more about or suggestions, please email us at podcast at indicativemarketing.com. And don't be a stranger. Connect with me on LinkedIn.